Welcome to this week's edition of the Carolina Kayak Lunker Hunters podcast, sponsored by Carolina Waters and Carolina Palsport Outfitters, the podcast that covers the tournament trails in North Carolina and beyond. It feels good to be back in the studio after a couple weeks off. I was doing some Bassmaster coverage of the college and high school series up at Saginaw Bay, Michigan, and then took a took a couple day break to go to Cincinnati for Father's Day and then straight down to Lay Lake, Alabama for some more college and high school series action. So feels really good to be back home, back in the back in the studio or my makeshift studio here in uh, in Greenville and putting out a podcast for you all. I will say Saginaw Bay is now one of my bucket list destinations. The college kids up there were catching 60, 80, even 100 fish a day. That's not an exaggeration at all as far as the largemouth fishing goes. You know, you think of the Great Lakes as quality smallmouth fishing, and it was definitely there. The tournament was one with mostly smallmouth, averaged 20 pounds a day. But the largemouth fishing up there is absolutely incredible. There's a 22-pound bag of largemouth caught but there's just so much quantity up in that region. And uh, I was sad I didn't get to go out on the water and experience it myself, but I think I'll definitely be heading back up there in the, in the near future because I was uh, super jealous watching all of those fish come across stage. And in the college series, which had 160-some teams competing in it, there were only like five or six teams that did not weigh in the entire tournament so Saginaw Bay I will be heading back up there to uh, to fish it at some point and uh, hopefully here in the near future because it was pretty exceptional uh, pretty exceptional fishing up there for sure while I was gone though there was plenty of North Carolina kayak action that happened so we will jump into that here right now actually so we'll start with the kayak fishing league and an update on how our two north carolina teams are doing in the first matchup of the year the tar heel lunkers beat the carolina casters on falls lake that was an interesting tournament because there were plenty of small fish caught in that event between both teams but the size limit is 14 inches for kfl so a lot of those fish didn't make it to the scoreboard i know uh hank vajan from the casters, he he reported catching a lot of a lot of small fish and just never got them to the board. So the Lunkers took home the victory over the Carolina Casters on week one. Eric Nelson had a really good day for that Casters team. He caught the majority of their fish, and I think he ended up uh, with 80, 80-some inches just by himself. So um, great effort from Eric Nelson. We were both fishing the same area, although fishing completely different ways for most of the day. Matt Dunn had a really good day for the Lunkers. He caught a 19 and a quarter incher, I believe, but it was a really good team effort. We all added fish to the board, myself, Matt Dunn, Jeremy Hicks, and Dontrell Sullivan. We all had fish to the board, so a really, really good team effort from the Lunkers in week one. And then Matt, Dontrell, Steve Perry and Mike Wimmer headed down to Florida for week two to take on the Florida Copperheads. And they went down there and caught a lot of fish. They had a really good time. 
but they fell short to the Florida Copperheads who had something like a like a 17 or 18 inch average on all of their fish. It was absolutely insane the size fish they were catching at Felsmere Reservoir. So unfortunately the Lunkers fell short in that event but had a really good time down there. The Carolina Casters I believe took on the Norfolk Privateers in week two and uh, had some had some off the water issues that needed to be handled that day. Um, unfortunately, a really tough day off the water for the casters in week two, but hopefully they will be back stronger in week three. The casters in week three, which starts July 10th, they will take on that Florida team, and then the Lunkers will take on a team from Alabama. Both of those games will be at Randleman Reservoir. The casters have the morning game, and then the Lunkers follow up in the afternoon. So, Really interested to see what happens at Randman July 10th. Speaking of Falls Lake, CKA held their fifth event of the season there on June 19th, and CKA's all-time wins leader Rick Rowland took home another victory, this time with 86 and a quarter inches. He added a 20 and quarter inch kicker that helped him achieve that victory. Joey Sullivan finished second with 83 and a quarter inches. And Seth Lebunski finished third with 82 and three-quarter inches. For a long, long time there in the afternoon, there was a three-way tie for first place. But Rick Rowland got on a stretch that, uh, that helped him get over the hump and win that event. We will talk to Rick later on in the show and go into detail about his victory. Overall, it was a tough event, it seemed like, for a lot of people. A lot of a lot of other tournament action, a lot of bass boats out there, a lot of pleasure boat traffic. I know there was unfortunately a very tragic situation there in the afternoon. Um, you know, tough day overall on Falls Lake for the CKA guys. Hank Vajon continues to lead the point standings after that event. He finished eleventh. So it's gonna be a really interesting end of the year at CKA that top the the top of the point standings are are pretty tight and we'll get into that later on with Rick this past weekend Queen City held the Catawba Clash that tournament was originally supposed to be Lake Watery only but Vinnie Ferrari the the commissioner of Queen City decided to open it up to all lakes on the Catawba chain um I believe it was due to some some uh, water level issues potentially with Lake Watery, but Scott Simmons wins that event with 74 and a quarter inches for a four bass limit. Ling Vang finishes second with 73 inches even, and Tang Vo finishes third with 71 and a half inches. I'm hoping to get Scott on next week to discuss his victory during that event. There, the Queen City's next event is the Yatkin Yolo on July 24th. It's High Rock, Baden, Tuckertown. Um, I think Tillery's part of that as well. I believe it's any any lake on that uh, on that Yadkin chain in North Carolina. I'm thinking about jumping in that one. I I really enjoy High Rock Lake and I enjoyed Baden Lake when I was there as well. So I may jump into that one here in a couple weeks. So we'll see. Also this past weekend was the Hobie BOS at Lake Champlain. 
and not a whole lot of people participated in that tournament. I believe there were only 65 or 66 anglers during that tournament, but those who showed up caught a ton of fish, and it was a really impressive event up at Lake Champlain. Travis Von Neumann wins that event with 196 total inches for two days. Former CKA angler Drew Gregory finished second with 87 and a half inches, and Catherine Field finished third with 185 and three quarter inches. Uh, Travis won that event with mostly smallmouth bass. Interesting note for this one: Mike Iconelli, former MLF and Bassmaster Elite Series pro, finished seventh. He fished out of his Hobie and caught 181 and a half inches. It'd be really cool to fish an event against Iconelli. The only, honestly, I'd like to not even not even fish around him. I'd like to launch and just watch him as he fished from a kayak and see if he act, if he goes Ike in his kayak. And if he does go Ike, I want to see how he manages not to flip over his kayak when he's going insane after catching a big fish. But really cool that, that Ike is jumping in some of these Hobie, Hobie tournaments. Maybe I'm thinking he might be at the Susquehanna River on July 31st. And if I'm not mistaken, he may have actually qualified for the Tournament of Champions. So, you know, really cool that he's jumping in this kayak game. And I think his his presence alone may, if it if it if it's taken advantage of the right way, I believe it's really going to grow this kayak this kayak bass fishing game even more. Before we get to our guest today, I have to thank Carolina Waters for their support of the podcast. Carolina Waters is a performance and outdoor lifestyle brand that celebrates the aquatic resources of North Carolina, from the mountains to the coast and all points in between. Check out their selection of lightweight performance shirts with sun protection, soft style logo tees, comfy multi-season hoodies, and a variety of headwear. Whether you are on the water or just hanging around town, Carolina Waters has you covered, and my listeners can use the code KAYAK at checkout for a special offer. Check them out at carolinawatersnc.com on Instagram at carolinawatersnc, and on Facebook at carolinawatersnc. I've been using their stuff all season long. It has kept me comfortable out on the water in all seasons. Their hoodies kept me warm during that CKA event on Sharon Harris in the middle of February. It's kept me cool during these these early summer tournaments, and it's going to help me out a lot when we start, when we, you know, this time of the year when it's getting getting up into the 90s. So I appreciate their support with this podcast and their help with uh, through my tournaments this season. I'd also like to thank Carolina Palsport Outfitters for supporting the podcast. CPSO specializes in putting you in the kayak that fits your needs at the best price around. CPSO are a dealer for native Feel free, Three Waters, Johnny Boat, SeaStream, and Cuckoo Watercraft. Visit their website at www.carolinapso.com and their main location at Ace Hardware in Arcadia, located 10 miles south of Winston-Salem. My guest this week won the CK event on Falls Lake with 86 and a quarter inches and is the all-time winningest angler in CK history, Rick Rowland. Thanks for joining me, Rick. We'll start with this. Um, of your of your CK wins, you know where does this one kind of uh, kind of rank among them? Hey, Chris, uh, Christopher, thank you for having me on tonight. Uh, by the way, um, absolutely, it's definitely one of the top. I mean, fishing against this caliber of anglers, I mean, in the CKA or any of the tournaments I fish in, I mean, 
I don't take any of my wins with a grain of salt. I mean, it's it's tough all the way around. Um, so yeah, it's it's very high on my on my uh, list of accomplishments to even even have this many wins in the CKA. Absolutely, absolutely. And we'll jump into we'll jump into a little bit more of your your history a little later on. But we'll go ahead and jump into into this particular tournament. Um, I guess sort of for this, for this event, what were your, what were your expectations? And um, I guess, did you, did, how did you prepare for this tournament? Um, I, I went out the week before uh, on a Saturday and then also uh, on Sunday, uh, Shelly Eford came up and joined me and uh, we pre-fished uh, on Sunday as well. But uh, Saturday, it was an overcast day. Um I caught a lot of good quality fish that day. Um, water temperature was right around 79. Um, and it really had the fish biting, or I should say the quality fish biting that day. Now, Sunday was a totally different story. Uh, I went back to those same areas, just, just scouting, just not really trying to catch anything, just looking. And where I caught them once on Saturday, those fish was totally moved out by the very next day on Sunday. So uh, that really threw me for a loop because I was began scratching my head. It's like, okay, well, you know, what's going to transpire between now and tournament day? Right, so right. I just went to an area that I was familiar with. And I, I, I wanted to start there. Um, it, I, I launched there at the uh, upper Barton Creek area. And um, it took me about 15 minutes to get out to my area. And by that time, there was two boats, bass boats, sitting there. And, of course, they had a tournament going on as well. So they were there fishing pretty hard. So I sat back for about 15 minutes and just watched them fish. Um, you know, one guy looked like he was throwing uh, some type of bottom rig, maybe a Carolina rig or something of that nature off a point. Uh, and then there was two other guys on a boat and, uh, they were throwing crankbaits. Well, one was throwing a crankbait and another was throwing a, uh, chatterbait, slow, slow rolling a chatterbait. It looked like, and, uh, for those 15 minutes, I didn't see anybody catch anything. So that really got me worried right off the bat. Um, they kind of moved out and before lines in at 6a, 6am, um, they had moved out of the area. So, I began at 6 a.m. and started throwing a crankbait. And uh, a lot of uh, shad were starting to bust on the surface. So I saw white bass and then uh, large mouse was, was also chasing them. So I began to start catching a few small ones, 11 and a half, 12 inches and so forth. And that got my day started. I, I immediately racked up four fish, but you know, 12 and a half to 11 and a half inches, that's really not going to get you anywhere in the, you know, on the, at the end of the day. So, mm -hmm. um, so like I said, I had about, um, well, I had four fish in about, I don't know, 30, 35 minutes. So, and just kept looking at the area and scoping around on my depth finder and really wasn't seeing anything. I seen, I was actually catching, also I was catching uh, some really good quality uh, white bass on the crankbait. Actually, some of them were bigger than the largemouth that I was catching. 
Oh, wow. So uh, I, I just scrapped that area. I just moved off of that area, just scrapped it, and started going to some of the other areas that I caught fish on the previous week, on that Saturday. And, of course, they were still gone. They wasn't there. Um, so I, did get, I began to move right out to the main lake, concentrating on points and uh, deep water areas and, and just, you know, using my Garmin to uh, try to locate something. And um, finally, I was able to see a, a large school of fish submerged in about 20 foot of water. And uh, they were pretty close to a bank and a shallow point. So I then moved up on that point and started fishing the point and I immediately got a bite, um, throwing, a, throwing a worm, uh, bottom fishing and uh, pulling it off that edge out into the deeper water. And I immediately got a bite and I did not hook up on the fish. So I casted right back in, fish probably another, 20 minutes or so and I was able to land my first fish which was I think it was around a 16 and a half 16 and a quarter off of that area so I got my picture taken um got settled back into what I what I thought was going to be a groove and um 15 minutes later I hooked a 20 inch bass off of that same area so I then began to start working my way up and down that bank, trying to see if there was another sweet spot. Uh, and also giving that one little spot a break. And um, I never was able to catch another fish off of that location. So then it had me scrambling again and it was closer. By this time, I'd, I'd spent easily uh, two to three hours at that one location because I just marked so many fish you know, suspended, I was, I was hoping that sooner or later more fish would move up mm -hmm. and, uh, hopefully I'd be able to hook up on another one. But, uh, then I became, you know, got into search mode again, went looking and found a, a area straight across from where I was fishing. That was a point that came out and, uh, they just, you would be sitting in, in there, or sitting on say 12 foot to 14 foot area and um, you could just see the fish on the depth finder they, they were just swimming around you would go over one area there wouldn't be anything there you'd come back you know drift back over top of it and then there would be fish so they were just roaming on this uh point so i began to uh, start bottom fishing again with the worm and and immediately started hooking up. Um, I caught, um, off that one area, I probably caught about 10 to 12 fish and I was able to start culling. And, um, you know, and I never got, everything I got in that area were 16 inch fish. That's what I finished up with. Uh, I ended up with three other 16 inch fish off that one spot, nothing over 16 and a, uh, 16 and three quarter, I think, was my largest one off that one spot. Gotcha, gotcha. So enough to enough to get you up, get you up into that lead, and anyway. So yeah, know. and and that by that time, you know, there again, when I get on a spot and I see fish, I I try to 
stay there as long as I can until, until like not getting a bite or until I'm sure that they're not going to bite. And, uh, so, uh, I think I uh, sat there again, probably another three hours on that one area, just fishing it back and forth and trying to find the sweet spot. I, uh, I threw out a marker buoy, a little marker buoy, uh, marking the end of the point. So that would give me a reference to something in the way of where I got a bite or when I got a bite, I could look over and get a reference from that marker buoy and see exactly where my position of the boat or where, you know, where I was casting towards that, that kind of direction. If I was casting out in deeper water and pulling up the ledge, or if I was sitting in deeper water, casting up to shallow water, pulling it out to deeper water, that sort of thing. So I was getting a reference and trying to, trying to uh, hone in on uh, what was getting the most bites. Right, right. That marker, that marker buoy technique is really a, a lost art. You know, I mean, all the advanced technology GPSs and stuff, guys use the, you know, use the waypoint tools more than the marker buoy, but the marker buoy still has its, definitely has its place or should definitely have a place in everybody's boat, I would, I would say, especially in deep water situations like this. Yeah, I, I do. I do use it a lot. Um, and it, it just helps me uh there again i can especially if the wind's blowing or like there on falls lake we had so much boat traffic uh you know with the wake borders and so forth i was main lake so i had jet skis wake borders pontoon boats coming by me like you know every 30 seconds at least mm-hmm. so it worked for me in a way of there again marking having some kind of visual marking that I could see and I know kind of where my boat was positioned on that uh, point and also where the where the ledge was and and so forth Mm -hmm. I gotcha so during during tournament day how how long did you or how much did you scan versus how much did you actually fish I guess what was sort of the ratio between between how much you actually scanned during a tournament, and how much you had, how much time you had a had a line in the water. Well, I, I began scanning right from the launch. Of course, we couldn't fish. We could launch at five thirty and and lines in at six. But the previous week, uh, going out to the main lake, I was marking fish on the points heading to the main lake mm-hmm. from the boat ramp. So, and on tournament day, uh, going out, I wasn't marking as many fish. So that kind of gave me a heads up that, hey, these fish are starting to move out the main lake. You know, the water temperature had gotten warmer. I think that morning it was in the low 80s water temp. So, you know, I just then began thinking, okay, it's going to be a deep water bite because uh, that morning I went through the 15 minutes that it took me to get to the area that I wanted to fish. I at least looked at uh, three to four other spots going out uh, where I marked fish in the previous week. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there again, they weren't there. They had moved out completely. Gotcha. Gotcha. So you know, once you, once you realize it's a, it's a main lake deep water deal, um, 
you know, how much, uh, how much scanning did you do once you got out to that main lake area? Cause I imagine, you know, you have to, especially in a kayak, you do so much repositioning that you probably end up scanning a lot more than you actually end up fishing. Yeah. I, I probably ran, uh, I got to my first spot there and fished around and, and saw the schooling bass and the white bass and, and went around, there's actually an island. I kind of went around that island and, and scanned around that island area um, and going up into the shallows and looking at the drop-offs around there uh, as I was catching a few of those smaller bass. And uh, I left there and I probably scanned probably at least an hour, hour and a half looking for those other fish or looking for a school of fish that would hopefully cooperate and I could get some bites from. Um, so it, yeah, probably, probably an hour and a half that morning. And then, and then after I caught the other or the first two good quality fish, then I started scanning again uh, straight across from that and was able to locate or figure out, not really locate, the fish were there. I just had to figure out how to get them to bite. Um, you know, they were just roaming on that second point that I got to. Um, but uh, yeah, a couple hours at least of scanning, scanning, trying to, trying to get on top of the quality of fish that I needed. Gotcha, gotcha. So, um, you know, bait fish is obviously was a key to, you know, figuring out where those, where those fish were located, it seemed. Was there, was there uh, like a, a key structure that you were keying in on or was it, was it simply a, a following the bait fish to where the bass were? Uh, the, uh, yeah, the first point or the first area uh, that I caught the two quality fish, the 16 and the 20 incher that morning, I think it had a lot to do with the bait. Um, there was a lot of bait in that area. Uh, you'd see every now and then some would come up flickering on the surface. Um, um, but I, I concentrated primarily. I didn't, I didn't even throw a crankbait in there. I felt like there were still um, white bass in the area, and that's what was blowing the shad to the surface. Um, so I just dealt with or, or throw the uh, worm uh, trying to get a quality bite. I felt like that's where the fish were going to be structured or, or closer on the bottom with the water temperature. So that's mainly what I concentrated on after after the sun got up, especially um, just trying to catch that quality fish. The, uh, the second point, there wasn't any kind of cover on the point whatsoever, structure. It was just a, uh, a plain uh, point that came out. And I think, in my opinion, I think the uh, boat traffic had a lot to do with those fish roaming. Um, the wakes coming up on the point and just all the turbulence of the water. I think fish would just move up on that, on that point just to check out and see what kind of baits get being washed or into the water or you know it just created like a feeding frenzy because when i got a bite they had it down their throat mm -hmm. um it was no it was no get a bite and you know drop your rod and kind of let them run with it as soon as i got a bite i could set the hook and get them in and and you know the worm was down their throat that quick so 
that told me that there was, you know, probably a school of fish there or a group of fish that was there concentrating on feeding. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, that's interesting because, you know, as much as we hate all the jet ski traffic and all the pleasure boat traffic, there are times like like that where it's really beneficial to have some some moving water especially in the summertime anything that gets the water moving can can turn those fish on and so it's it's as much of a pain as it is sometimes it it can help out in those in those ledge ledge fishing deep water situations yeah you're exactly right so are you are you somebody who keeps an eye on the on the scoreboard as the day goes on or are you are you keeping your keeping your keeping your head out of the standings and just trying to focus on what you're doing? I, I try to. I, I do try to, but <laughs> when when you you know, especially that morning when I was just catching the dink after dink, uh, I was like, this is not gonna cut it. Mm-hmm. So I I, I turned on the board to see see what kind of fish were being caught, you know, how many inches were already recorded. And I, I don't remember who was up there, but, uh, you know, it was it was 50, 56 inches already recorded. And I was like, well, somebody's catching them. You know, the fish are biting somewhere. They're, they're getting quality bites. You know, I think somebody had three fish for 56 inches or something along that nature. But, um and then uh, later in the day, you know, I, I looked at it and I saw the three-way tie, you know, with yeah. Joey Sullivan and Will and and so forth. And I was like, oh, wow. And I think at that point I had, I was in the low 70s um, at that point. And I just, you know, put my head down and, and was lucky enough to get the quality bites absolutely absolutely yeah joey joey's already won a tournament on that lake this year with uh with cckf so um you know being able to chase him down and and beat him at this lake was pretty pretty impressive for especially for how for how sporadic it kind of seemed your bites were at times yeah uh, it, it was just uh, there again, I think all and that played in the factor in my bites was the boat traffic and just mm-hmm. keeping the water stirred up and and it kept the fish active in that area. I think with no boat traffic, now we did have some wind, but I think with no boat traffic, I think those fish are going to be more concentrated to some kind of structure or cover in the way where they can ambush, you know, ambush some bait fish and so forth. But that just bare point. Just coming off, they would just pull up on it and, you know, anticipating, you know, the the wash and the, you know, just bait floating or, or whatnot in that area just being disturbed so much. Um, they figured maybe they could get an easy meal. Absolutely. Yeah, and definitely ended up working working out for you there in the end. As you know, as far as does the does the deep water kind of ledge type stuff set up for your strengths normally or are you kind of a shallow water guy in normal situations I guess what's your how did this tournament set up for your for your strengths uh yeah it worked in my advantage I believe um just because I'm an off offshore structure type of fisherman um I can 
you know, I'm just as pleased just sitting out in the middle of the lake fishing, you know, a tree or, or something along the bottom, you know, a creek channel or, or whatnot, a drop off ledge versus, you know, going to the bank and hitting, hitting what you can, what everybody can see. You know, I, I definitely prefer sitting off the bank and, and using my electronic uh, to, to help me find the fish and help find cover structure. And, and then I can hone in on it and, and, you know, drop a worm or, and that's primarily what I love to fish with anyway, soft plastics. So if I can get a bite on soft plastics, I won't throw anything else. I'll, I'll just strictly stick with soft plastics and, and fish as deep as I need to fish to, to get the bites. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, you know, in a, you know, in a bass boat, when I was in, in college and, you know, growing up fishing with my dad out of a bass boat, you know, being in a, being offshore didn't seem quite as intimidating to me, but I've tried it here a couple times in a kayak and I'm, it seems to be, it's, it seems a lot more difficult, at least for me to be, um, offshore in a kayak. So I guess without giving too many of your secrets away, what are, what are a couple tips that, you know, novice offshore fishermen like me need to keep in mind when they first go out there in a kayak? Um, just be confident with your equipment. That's the main thing you're, you know, have, or, or, you know, get familiar with your kayak and know what, what the tipping point is. Um, I'm, I'm in a Slayer Propel 13. I've, you know, I have flipped the boat a long time ago when a snake tried to get in the boat with me, but, uh, that's not good. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable. I mean, I've been in out in the ocean with the boat catching 40 inch red drum, you know, a hundred yards off the shore, uh, in that, in that same boat. Um, but, uh, it's it's just knowing your uh knowing your ability and and knowing knowing what you're working with you know is the main thing you, uh, you know i've been in some big tournaments um where i've seen guys you know where we'll have water temps in the low 50s or high 40s and and guys in some sketchy kayaks, you know, trying to go across the main lake and, and do some things that they shouldn't be doing. And uh, uh, later that day that you'll see them up on the bank doing jumping jacks, trying to get, trying to get warm again or trying to get dry mm -hmm. um, from, from the days. But it's for, for novice, it's just, just learn your equipment. Um, and, uh, you know, don't necessarily jump right into the uh big lake tournaments um you know try to try to hit some of the smaller lakes and basically just get familiar with your equipment first is the main thing gotcha gotcha you know when i i've i've been a now i'm in the native the native slayer 12.5 so I've, as far as like being out there it's pretty you know i feel comfortable out there as well or would feel comfortable out there as well. My, you know, my, my issue, I guess, comes in offshore fishing is I get so frustrated, you know, kind of, you know, drifting off of a spot or, um, or kind of 
you know, not being able to stay on a spot because the kayak just moves around so much with the boat wake or the wind or whatever. Um, as far as that goes, I'm sure the buoy marker helps a ton in that situation. But what what are some of the other things that you you know you've done to you know stay on stay on your spot offshore? I guess. In uh, that's a good question. In pre fishing, uh, I, I'll go out and set a waypoints on my Garmin unit, and uh, that way, also you know, heading out first thing in the morning when it's you know, dark and the sun's just coming up, I'm able to look at those waypoints and go straight to those areas. And also even, even, um, grafting, grafting the area. If, um, you know, before the tournament even starts, you know, I'll say, okay, well, I got this waypoint over here. I can swing through that area and look at, see if there's any fish on that point or on that area or on that hump or tree or whatever it may be. I can swing by and check that out going to the main area that I want to fish. But um, yeah, just setting your waypoints. Also using, you know, uh, looking at and, and marking visually marking stuff on the bank um, to make your, you know, your cast presentation towards the fish or, or what your, any kind of structure or cover you're looking to fish. Um, you know, a big dead tree or, up on the bank i've used that several times you know uh, have a have a dead tree and i try to line my kayak up with it and uh, make a cast towards it or out away from it or or on the left side of it or right side of it you know towards the bank and, and uh, pull my lure back off and and hopefully get bit and try to try to hit the structure or cover that i'm working on mm -hmm. gotcha gotcha good deal man good deal that'll be that'll that'll definitely help you know some people because you know offshore fishing has become so important in bass fishing you know especially it's become a lot easier with the with the electronics and and all the advancements so you know there's a lot of people who are wanting to wanting to get offshore more and more so um you know being able to do it being able to do it safely in a kayak is obviously the biggest deal so as far as as far as that goes but um i want to move on here to um to kind of your your overall history here with with ck and obviously other other tournaments as well but you know winningest winningest angler in ck history you know this you mentioned this win being you know high on the high on the on the list what are some of your what are some of your other memories from you know this this CK events that really kind of that really kind of stick out in your mind. What are some What are some of your favorites? Well, um, you know, yeah, I may have won some tournaments, but I've never won Angler of the Year at CKA. So that that's my goal. That's my goal every year. And the quality of anglers that fish this these tournaments. I mean, I fished. I finished. I think three, maybe four times in second uh, for Angler of the Year. Um, you know, I, I, and I think Yakfish, uh, I finished second in that, one of the final years that they were uh, having it. But, uh, yeah, there again, just the quality of anglers that, that are fishing these tournaments um, and that I've been beaten by for Angler of the Year, um, that's – you know, 
that is one of my goals to hopefully accomplish soon. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we'll jump into that here for just a second. You know, you're, you're, I think you're in second right now. Is that correct? In the angler of the year standings? No, I think I'm third right now. Okay. Okay. I yeah. knew it was either second or third. I couldn't remember off the top of my head, which one it was. So, um, you know, couple three three tournaments left i think do i have that right yeah three tournaments left um Mm -hmm. you know how 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 is this schedule sort of setting up for for the rest of the season for you as far as achieving that goal of angler of the year uh randleman randleman's the next on the list i've done pretty good at randleman in the past um so hopefully i can duplicate there um, you know, my goal right now is just to get a top five finish um, and, and hopefully uh, one, maybe two of these last tournaments that we have. Um, the, what's going to throw a monkey wrench in the, in, in the game, I think, is going to be the Mayo and the James. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the East and the West, you could choose either lake to fish. Um, so that, that could throw a monkey wrench in, into my game. Um, I think either lake is going to be a deep water bite uh, primarily. So that, that does play into my, uh, you know, my skills, I guess. But, um, and then the uh, Gate City Classic, um, which they're, you know, I love Macintosh. And that's pretty much my home lake. And there's some huge bass in Macintosh. So um, hopefully I can, I can get some really good points at that tournament as well. Absolutely, yeah. Two, two of those three sound, up like, sound like they set up really well for you. And then, you know, I've never been to, never been to Mayo or James. So I think, unfortunately, I'm not going to – I really wanted to fish that event when it first came on the schedule. I don't think I'm going to, going to be able to, but I'll be interested to see what, what happens with that event. And, you know, especially if, if the Lake James smallmouth play, that'll make things really, really interesting at that tournament, I think. Oh yeah, definitely. There's some big smallmouth in James. There are for sure. You know, uh, the Queen City, the Queen City guys always seem to, you know, some of them always seem to get on those big smallmouth and, you know, really the only place in, in North Carolina you can get on them. So um, that was, that's, I was, that's probably where I would have ended up fishing if I was going to do that event. But yeah, that'll be, that'll, that'll be a real interesting event for the, for the point standings for sure. I think. Yeah. It, it's still going to be a battle either way. I mean, you got, uh, Shelly Eford, uh, he's in second and then you got, uh, Henry in first and then also, uh, Melvin, Melvin Yang. He, he, he didn't score good in the false lake tournament, but still he's got, I think three top five finishes. So he's still got potential as well. Uh, and then of course, I'm sure there's more people that I, I haven't noticed, but, or can't come to come to mind right now, but, um, there there's it's going to be a battle either way I'm, I'm sure it's going to be a battle down to the wire yeah that's a that's a really strong top five there for sure really strong top five so 
back to back to kind of your kind of your history with CK and you know with the in the you know the yakfish days as well. Um, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this. How have you how have you seen the not only kind of the North Carolina kayak scene change throughout these last couple couple years, but you know throughout the throughout the country? What are your thoughts on on you know the growth of this kayak fishing game? Uh, yeah, it's, it's grown leaps and bounds over the last, I'd say three to four years. Um, just in CKA, you got a lot of guys that's come down from the, from the boat tournaments and, and enter to enter kayak tournaments. Uh, you know, um, the, you know, you're getting a lot of quality anglers, anglers coming out old like myself and and young young guys are coming out too and these young guys they're on top of the electronics game Mm -hmm. so you know they can take a fish finder and 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 really really dial in um what they're wanting to do and 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 you know fish you know certain techniques you know the the ned rig and 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 so forth and and shaky heads and and really get on some fish but um, just also through the national scene, you got the Hobie events, the BASS events now, and, and then the KBF, um, you know, they're, they're all blowing it out of the water with, uh, with tournaments and entries, and, and it's, it's really growing. Um, the, I don't know anywhere else that you can, you know, pay a $50 entry fee or a hundred dollar entry fee on a tournament and go out and win, you know, the money that you can, um, in a kayak tournament. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's a big draw and, and the competition too. I mean, when I was traveling a couple years back and, and, you know, you'd run into the guys here and there and, and it's it's like one big family. Everybody knows each other. Everybody gets along, and we kid, and and you know even even go and room together. You know if we find out that hey, several of us going to a tournament. Well, you know we'll go in together and get a house or or whatnot or a room in the same uh, same hotels, and and you know at the end of the day we'll go out to the restaurants together and hang out and, and enjoy each other's company and just you know chill and and kind of cut up as kids absolutely absolutely yeah that's definitely that definitely seems to be a you know a special part about this kayak fishing game is you know it doesn't take long to uh to get to know people and cka and cckf and the north carolina clubs all seem to have that you know that really good camaraderie in them so um yeah it's been it's been really cool you know as a as a newcomer being able to you know get to know get to know you all in ck and uh yeah it's been pretty it's been pretty awesome to see you all not not only dominate on the water but you know now that now that the covid stuff is kind of getting getting out of here being able to being able to gather and do those uh do those meetups has been has been pretty cool so um go ahead i'm sorry and, and that's the way it used to be years ago. They would, uh, you know, almost 
say, okay, not necessarily a tournament, but you would have guys post like, hey, I'm going to go to this lake. Uh, you know, for example, I'm going to go to McIntosh and, and go and see what I can do. And anybody out there want to come and hang out and fish and so forth. So, you know, you'd show up at McIntosh and there'd be four or five, six people, you know, show up there as well, you know, that saw your message and, and just want to come out and join and just have a day on the water and try to catch some fish. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's an awesome part about it for sure, too. And, you know, it helps, it helps that part of it, you know, being in a piece of plastic definitely makes it more flexible to, uh, you know, go do those things and go, go, you know, meet up with a meet up with six or seven people. It seemed that definitely, definitely a lot of fun being able to do that for sure. So, um, you know, with this, with your win here on, on falls, you, you, you secure your, secure your spot in the tournament of champions. You know, what are your, what are your thoughts on, uh, on Santee Cooper here? I know we're a couple, couple months out here, but, uh, have you, uh, have you thought ahead to that at all? Yeah. <laughs> Santee Cooper has bitten me in the butt in the past. I, I fished, uh, some of the KBF tournaments there, um, in the past. I've, I've done decent on a couple of the tournaments, but more so than none, I, I've, I've didn't fare so well, uh, down there. Um, I think one of the last tournaments, uh, Shelly Eford and I went down and fished and, and it was a February tournament. I remember we pre-fished and pre-fished and didn't really catch much. And we marked a bunch of fish and a tournament day showed up. So we said, okay, well, we're going to go back here. Tournament day showed up and we're sitting out there uh, it was misting and sleeting rain. Our, our guides were freezing up. And I think by 11 o'clock, I, I looked over at Shelly and I said, let's just go home. <laughs> so we loaded up and we were actually, I think we actually got back home before the tournament was scheduled to be over with that day. So <laughs> Santee Cooper, yeah, it, it can be, uh, it can be brutal at times and it could be you know it could be awesome at times um i saw i've seen some really big fish come out of uh santee cooper and and saw some you know people that can go down and and pick those trees apart and 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 figure out where they are and how to catch them but uh at the uh, tournament of champions it should be it should be prime time. That should be a really good tournament. Yeah, I'm thinking it's it's gonna it's gonna be really interesting for sure. I'm uh, that lake is definitely feast or famine. So hopefully it ends up being uh, hopefully it ends up being feast for for us when we head when we head down that way. So mm -hmm. it'll be uh, I I really enjoy fishing that lake. So I'm I'm super excited about it. Whether it ends up whether it ends up being good or not, it's a beautiful lake, and you know can't for me those cypress trees are really hard to really hard to beat yeah they definitely hold some fish um i've never really got on the times that i fished it i've never really got on a good bite on the cypress trees but um uh, or i i could have been i might have not been in the right area where the fish were <laughs> i feel like at times too but uh 
um yeah those those cypress trees if you can get or get on the ones that uh are kind of out by themselves where where you know the fish have nowhere else to go but conjugate on that tree or those trees you know you might find a clump of them out there in the area by themselves and and you can really rack up real quick Mm -hmm. that lake is that lake is so big too just so many so many backwater areas to it and you know I've only been on it in in a boat so I'm not I'm not even sure how I'm going to be able to how I'm going to tackle it when I get down there in the kayak just because it's there's just so much so much water and so much cover oh yeah yeah that that brings up a story to mind um back in the day when uh Corey Dreyer and I went down and fished one of the very first KBF tournaments on Santee Cooper. And uh, we went, uh, paddled around and pulled up, you know, uh, Google Earth and uh, saw this pond way back off in the distance and saw what we thought was a creek going back to it, uh, a creek channel. And, and so we ventured out and, and broke through some trees and and worked our way back and finally got back to this pond basically is what it was and and started fishing and looked over and saw a you know a six foot gator over here on the bank and looked over you know a little ways down and saw another gator and then you know a gator popped up between us and then there was a 10 foot gator on the opposite bank and and we was like, well, yeah, there's no fish in here. Let's get out of here. <laughs> so it, you, it's definitely got some gators down there too now. Yes, yes, they sure do. And they love big bass as much as, uh, as, much as we do. Yeah. So good deal, man. Good deal. Well, before I let you go here, um, you know, is there anyone you want to, anyone you want to shout out? Anybody you want to, you want to promote or thank? Oh. Um, I don't have any sponsors or anything, but, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, get outdoors in Greensboro's helped me out throughout the years, you know, calling up, needing a part or a cable, or I broke something or, or something on my kayak. Um, so they've helped me out uh, a lot throughout the years. Um, and then, uh, Dave with, uh, Dave Farrington with uh, Dave's tournament tackle up in James Jamestown. Uh, he's helped me out as well uh, with uh, you know I'll, I'll have a wild idea on on a lure or a color or or whatnot, and I'll, I'll call him up or go up there to the uh, to his shop and and uh, have him to make up you know a certain kind of uh, spinner bait that I'm thinking about or uh, you know. Uh, make up a skirt for a jig or or something of that nature for me so he's helped me out throughout the years as well and and I've called him up and couldn't find some baits in the past some plastics and and call him up and say hey can you get these and he said let me look and and he said yeah I can get them and I say okay get me such and such and and call me when it comes in and you know a few days later he's like hey Rick I got your baits come get them so he's helped me out definitely yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. And, and one more person comes to mind too, Shelly Eford. I mean, he's 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 traveled from North Carolina all the way to Texas, Louisiana, Arkansas with me. Uh, you know, 
And, you know, that's a big help right there. Uh, somebody that can chip in with the gas and hotel costs and, and basically just sit there in the truck and, and chat with you to keep you to wait, you know, driving, driving these long miles. So that's definitely a, a help as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. A good, a good, you know, when you're traveling as far as, as far as we travel, sometimes having a good, having a good partner there to get you through it is, is super, super important. So good deal, man. Good deal. Well, I appreciate you doing this and, uh, you know, on the way out here, um, other than, other than Macintosh, what is your, what is your favorite lake in North Carolina? I'd have to say falls. Okay. Falls, okay. falls, falls. The reason why it sets up to me a lot like um, Kentucky Lake in uh, Tennessee. Mm -hmm. And that was a big factor uh, when I went out and fished uh, the 2017 uh, KBF Open and the uh, KBF National Championship. We had a tournament on falls, uh, a KBF tournament trail event uh, on falls uh, right before the national championship. And, and that kind of pulled everything together for me um, because to me, they both, both fish very similar. They both have rock structure um, and uh, that, that, that helped me out a lot in uh, in the 2017 season in the KBF series on Kentucky Lake. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, there. I've been on Kentucky Lake, you know, a couple times. I've, there were a lot of a lot of college fishing tournaments on Kentucky Lake, and you know, the the rock structure on that lake, whether it's the pea gravel or the chunk rock and mm -hmm. and the ledges, you know they're kind of they're not they're both more more river type lakes too so yeah. yeah you know falls is falls is a little smaller but i now that you now that you mentioned that they do set up do set up kind of similar mm -hmm. yeah I, i've yet to fish um kentucky lake when, when there's a ledge bite going on but uh hopefully one day i can get out there and try that as well yeah hope kentucky lake Kentucky Lake's coming back a little bit. It's been, it's been bad the last couple of years from, from what I hear, but this year's been, this year's been good. So hopefully it'll be, you know, all the way back here in a couple of years and get back to that really good, get back to that really good ledge bite. Yeah. Yeah. So good deal, man. Well, Rick, I really appreciate you doing, doing this podcast today and uh, hopefully I'll be able to, uh, we'll run into each other back here, uh, back here at another tournament sometime soon. I appreciate you doing this, man. Absolutely. Thank you, Christopher. Uh, yeah. enjoyed it. Um, and look forward to, to your future podcast and, and, uh, seeing what everybody is doing, you know, from the nation to the local scene. Yeah, it's been fun. We had fun talking to you in this podcast so far. It's been a lot of fun getting to know, getting to know, you know, all you guys and, you know, kind of really, kind of really, dig into dig into what makes anglers in this state so good so um yeah man appreciate you appreciate you doing this yes sir thank you thanks again to rick Rowland for joining me on this edition of the show 
Sorry for getting this podcast out so late. It was supposed to go out last week, but Allie's schedule did not make it very easy to uh, get a My Best Catch done. And I was trying to trying to wait it out and see if we could get a My Best Catch done. Unfortunately, we couldn't. And by the time I, I realized that, it was the holiday weekend. So I apologize for getting this podcast out so late. But hopefully I will be able to get another one in here this week. As far as the tournament schedule goes, there are no open tournaments until next week, July 17th. That is the CCKF event at Lake McIntosh. However, the KFL Week 3 starts on July 10th this Saturday and both the Carolina Casters and the Tar Heel Lunkers will be competing both at Lake Randleman. The Casters will be competing in the morning and the Lunkers in the afternoon. So good luck to both of those teams as they take on their respective opponents. Thanks again to Carolina Waters and Carolina Power Support Outfitters for supporting the podcast. And thank you all for listening. Please subscribe, rate, and review the show. And make sure you're sharing with your friends so we're continuing to grow this podcast and uh, hopefully getting more and more people interested in the kayak fishing game in North Carolina. But until next time, this has been the Carolina Kayak Lunker Hunters Podcast. (music)